0: You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. Well, again, welcome everyone here. If you haven't found a seat yet, go ahead and find one. Uh, I don't know if you were disrupted with uh, not having any electricity earlier this morning, but it seemed like the whole west side of the town and then this side was without power. And so, but uh, if that, you know, set anybody back, we we certainly have to, you know, give you, just applaud you for being here, because some people could use that as an excuse. Well, you know, the alarm didn't go off because the power went out. Well, but you made it, so we're glad that you're here. Uh, This morning, I'm really excited about this message. We're actually wrapping up a series that we've done all this month called Live It, And we've been addressing different aspects of how we live this life in Christ, how we live it up in our relationship to him, how we live it right when we refer to the family and the home and marriage, and then how we live it nine to five in the workplace. And I have to apologize because I had planned on addressing stay-at-home moms because I tell you, they work very hard. And so for those of you that are stay-at-home moms, we applaud you for all that you do for your family, for your children, and for the community. And then also today, we're actually wrapping this message up with a message entitled live it out how can we impact our community with our life in Christ and so we're going to be addressing this this morning and I I truly have been pulled and torn in different directions because there's so many things I could share in talking about how we live this life out to impact our communities and so I believe that God's uh, going to help me to deliver this message this morning so I thought I'd start with some humor is that okay all right, there was a, a grandfather that brought his five year old son to church, and uh, uh, the grandson went to children's church. And, and the lesson for that uh, particular Sunday was on Noah and the ark. And so on the ride home, uh, the grandson began to share with his grandfather what they talked about in, in children's church. And, and, and he said, You know, uh, we talked about Noah. Uh, and the ark, that Noah was on this ark, and this flood came and, and destroyed the world. And and so he asked his grandfather, were you in the ark with Noah? And he said, uh, no, I was not in the ark with Noah. Then why didn't you drown? The five-year-old asked. <laughs> All right, yeah. So yeah because if you went in the ark uh, there wasn't much uh, hope for you anyway moving right along uh, when we talk about living it we need to realize that living life with intention and purpose really matters you know sometimes we we make sacrifices sometimes we deprive ourselves of of things that we would maybe prefer or want because there's a greater purpose there's a greater reason that we are given to live so that we can impact others that live around us and that we encounter on uh, a day-to-day basis, we realize that a living life with intention and purpose really matters because there's so much hypocrisy that really plagues the church world. And as a pastor, I, I really, I, I hate hypocrisy, and I think Jesus did too. If you look at his life, he addressed the religious leaders of his day because they put up this facade, but there was no real uh, intention on impacting people's lives uh, for the purpose of God. And, and I believe that uh, it's a result of a failure to live life according, according to God's intention. That's why there's hypocrisy in the church. And so we want to deal with that and address it in our own lives. Because I have to admit, there's times I've been hypocritical in my own walk with God. And, you know, I, I look at that and, and I see, oh, God, thank you for pointing that out. Thank you for shedding your spotlight on that area so that I don't have to live a life of, of hypocrisy. That's something I don't want to do. And I believe most sincere Christians don't want to be hypocritical. They don't want to live lives of hypocrisy because, really, if their heart is set on serving God, there's a greater purpose at work. There's a greater intention that they really possess now, I, I believe when we encounter the world, when we encounter a community, people want what is real and genuine, not what's fake. And to impact this world, we have to be real and genuine to engage others with, I believe, a lifestyle that's been impacted by a genuine encounter with Jesus. See, if Jesus has impacted our life, that impact will have impact on others as it's lived out through us. And so we are excited about opportunities that are before us and challenges that are before us to really show this world Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, 44, we want to look at this scripture. This has been our theme scripture for this month on this series. It reads in Matthew 5:44 in the Message Bible. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. We all need to grow up. We all need to hear that. Your kingdom subjects, and that's another thing to ponder on. You're a subject of the kingdom of God. So that means God has a stake in your life. Your kingdom subjects, it goes on to say, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. And see, the only way we can live that out is, is to come to know what our true identity is in Christ. And then it goes on to say, live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. So what God does in us needs to be reflected through our life as we encounter others. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for another opportunity to speak your word. And Father, I humbly submit myself before you. Help me to be a vessel. Father, help me to speak your word in the way that can be impactful in people's lives. I thank you for the spirit of God who gives illumination in revelation and understanding of the truth. We pray, Father, that truth would take hold of our hearts today, that truth would take root and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, Jesus was a proclaimer of truth. In fact, he declared, thy word is truth. And for us to proclaim the truth in in a day where there's so much deceit and so many lies, I believe it's so essential And I've discovered, though, that not everyone wants to hear the truth because sometimes the truth hurts. And I think sometimes maybe the truth has been presented in the way that is hurtful rather than helpful. And so my intent this morning is to present the Word of God in a way that's helpful, not hurtful. But if for whatever reason today it's like it seems I'm stepping on your feet or, ouch, this doesn't feel so good, that's okay too because that's all a part of growth. You know, I think of the scripture in Proverbs that says how painful are honest words. My wife is probably the most honest person you will ever meet. She won't tell you what you want to hear. She'll tell you things as they are. And and sometimes that's got her in trouble, her gut level honesty. But I appreciate that that quality in her because she'll tell me what I need to hear, even though sometimes I don't want to hear it. How many of you can relate to some of that, okay? And so... Yeah now, when we talk about living this life to impact the community, we, we want to really address that issue. And I want to come from a couple of different angles this morning. but uh, there's a scripture, and you can turn there if you have your Bibles, it's found in Colossians chapter four verse five. Colossians chapter four verse five. And I'm reading from the voice version, the translation. It says, "Be wise." When you engage with those outside the faith community, make the most of every moment and every encounter. Wow. See, we need to exercise some wisdom. And, and I, sorry to say, Christians have not always exercised wisdom when they've engaged with those outside the faith community. See, you can't really always speak Christianese because that's a language that maybe they don't understand and maybe they can't relate to. But yet, in engaging them, we present to them a Jesus who's real, that can make a real difference in their life. Um, I teach Bible in the high school at Stevens Point Christian Academy, and I have some great students. I, I love those students, and, and I'm, 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 I'm actually excited to go into class and have the opportunity to share with them. I mean, I have them twice a week, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays for kind of an extended class period. But I gave them assignment, and actually this assignment, I'm going to challenge you with the same assignment this morning. I was getting ready, uh, uh, preparing in the morning, and, and the Lord just gave this idea to me for this assignment. And the assignment was make a list of what you love and make a list of what you hate. Okay? And so, what I was amazed at the response from the students, I got some extensive lists. And and I actually, I kind of said, at least three things you love, three things you hate. Some people gave me 20 to 30 things that they loved and 20 to 30 things they hated. And so I was really impressed with that. I actually um, was gonna share Mackenzie's a little bit a She had a good list. And one of the things that she hates was bugs. It was on that list, okay? (laughs) because she does not like bugs, okay? There are a few other things she didn't like either. But and it, it, could be any, it could be anything like hypocrisy or injustice or those kind of things. Those were all on that list. And, and, and this was actually fueled from the scripture passage we see in the book of Hebrews. Because I, let me, it, and you can turn there, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 from The Voice. But before I read that, before we read that, what you love And what you hate tells me about who you are. It tells me a little bit about who you are. Because even what you hate is a clue to your assignment in life. See, Jesus hated evil. He hated wickedness. He hated injustice. But it wasn't just something he hated. It motivated him to do something about what he hated. And so the next time you identify something you hate, Ask yourself the question, is this something, God, that you're calling me to change, to make a difference, to overcome this hatred, to do something to make things right? And so that's where many causes become established. It's, it's because of what people hate. They hate this injustice, so they fight the cause for justice. And say, so get on the bandwagon and do what they can to change the world, to change the way people think, to change their outlook on things. And so, now the scripture reads in the voice version, uh, verses 8 and 9 in Hebrews 1, it says, But to the Son he said, God, your throne is eternal. You will rule your kingdom with the scepter of justice. You have loved what is right and hated what is evil. That is why God, your God, has has anointed you with the oil of gladness and lifted you above your companions. See, what Jesus loved and what he hated and caused him to be elevated in his purpose, to fulfill what God had intended for him to do. And so what you love and what you hate is a clue to your life of your purpose, the plan, and the mission God has for you. Now, the New Living Translation, actually the New Life Version, not the New Living, but the New Life Version reads this way in verse 9. says, you have loved what is right, you have hated what is wrong. That is why God, your God, has chosen you He has poured over you the oil of joy more than anyone else. So I shared all that to ask you this question, do you love your city? Do you love the community you're living in? Okay. Now, uh, I have to say that I can tell if you love your city, if you love your community. It all depends what you're saying about it. Is what you say about your city negative? Is it negative connotations? Is it, ah, don't like this, don't like that? Is it always negative? Is it always putting it down? Well, then I would have to say you probably don't love your city. And, and, and one of my intents for you this morning is for you to begin to develop a love for this city. And I have to tell you that years ago the Lord dealt with me on that because I came to Stephen's point with my feet dragging. I have to be honest with you, when God began to move in my heart and, and show me that I was to be a pastor here, I did not want to come to Stevens Point, Wisconsin. I really did not. I mean, I'm being honest with you. And, but something has changed, and now it's changed, obviously, but uh, it was, what, what God worked in my heart is to develop within me a love and a passion for the city to where now, if I go outside this community, when I drive through and when I see the city limit sign, my heart is lifted and I began to thank God for this city and thank God for its inhabitants. And I began to just thank God, Lord, pour out your spirit here. Visit this city with your presence, your power, your love. And and, and so I'm gonna challenge you with that because I don't think I've ever really shared that with a congregation before. And and what I kind of go through when I come into the city, especially if I've been on an extended way, if I've gone to Africa, been overseas for a period of time, come back, it's like I celebrate. I'm back home. I'm in my city. This is where God's called me. Now, you may be called here for a season. Maybe you're attending school, college, and you're here just for a couple years, four years, whatever. But as long as you're here, and we're going to see this in the scripture, when you seek the well-being of your city If you seek the prosperity of your city, God will prosper you. He will bless you as you bless your city, okay? I'm actually getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. Now, so how do you talk about your city? Because it's an indicator whether you love it or not. Now, uh, Barna makes this statement in some of his uh, surveys. He said friendships are are the top thing people love most about their city. Friendships, that's interesting. Now, friendship has to do with relationship with people. And so, and I want this to focus because you can like things about your city, but what it really needs to be focused on are the people there and loving the people in the city. See, Jesus had a quality that was awesome, amazing. It's called compassion. Jesus was full of compassion. And you know, what's interesting about compassion, compassion is Different than sympathy. Because sympathy, oh, I feel sad for you. I feel so bad for you. But that's the extent of what sympathy will do. Compassion takes you to another level where you actually engage in making a difference in that person's pain, making a difference in the challenge that they're facing. Compassion means you do something, you act. You just don't look at, oh, it's really bad out there. I feel so bad for those people. No, you don't sit. You can't sit. Compassion won't let you sit idle. You have to respond. You have to act. And I'm going to share three passages on, com- on compassion because each of these areas of compassion shows the heart of God towards us, the heart, the heart of Jesus towards our people. In Matthew 9:36, Jesus says here, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw people that had no leadership in their lives. He saw people that were helpless that couldn't deal with the issues they were facing. And so his compassion was moved. And and so this moved him to rally the disciples together to pray to the Lord of the harvest that God would send laborers into the harvest so that there would be a move of God to reach these people that were in need. And then we see in Matthew 14, 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus had compassion for sick people, people that were hurting, people that were in pain. And and Jesus, you know, you think, well, did Jesus heal because he wanted to prove he was God? No. No. Did Jesus heal because he just had the power to heal and he wanted to display it for everybody to see? No. Jesus healed because of his compassion. His compassion moved him to bring his healing power into people's lives. And see, that healing power is still available today because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But now he uses us to administer his healing power to this world. And then the third passage on compassion we see in Matthew 15, 32. It says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I'm not willing to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Now, think about this. It wasn't in Jesus' budget to feed that multitude. There was not resources to do it, but he found a way. And there we see the miracle of of the fishes and the loaves being multiplied. And, And the lesson we see there is when you give God what little you have, he can take that and multiply it to feed a multitude. And so you might say, what does my $5 do in the offering? I tell you, you give it to God and watch him multiply it. And he can do far more with it than if you kept it for yourself. If that little boy we think it was a little boy, he had his lunch. Mom packed the lunch for him and five loaves and two fish, okay? And so uh, apparently the disciples had to get that little boy to agree to give up his lunch, okay? <laughs> and uh, apparently maybe he didn't like the bread or fish, so, you know, I mean, sometimes kids do that. They give their lunch away. Mom and dads, you may not know about that, but they give their lunch away to who knows who. But uh, so... Giving the lunch away, Jesus was able to take what was little and make it into much and feed an entire multitude. But it was all motivated and fueled by his compassion. And so what we really need is, is a spirit of compassion for our community. And if we're going to reach it, if we're going to make an impact in it, we need compassion. Um, so how do we love our city? Well, first of all, realizing that cities are made up of people. Uh, you can love your city for many reasons, but God wants you to love the people because people are the focus of his love, God's love, and should be the focus of our love, okay? And the most important, however, and what we've just talked about is that we have compassion for people. I want to give you some city facts this morning. Stevens Point, now if you don't live in Stevens Point, if you know another area, then, you know, your community, you need to just apply these things I share um, with that community or that area that you live in, okay? Stevens Point is the county seat of Portage County. The city was incorporated in the year 1858, so it's a little older than all of us. The medium age in the city, get this, is 26.5 years, 26.5 years, that's the average age of of the residents of of our city. Now, what's interesting, a a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, we met as a leadership team, and we were casting vision, and we were trying to target. What's the target age of who we're trying to reach and how we conduct our services and, and, and how we do ministry? And we went around the room, and every leader gave an age, and we took the combined ages, divided it by the number of people that were there, and it came out to 25 years of age. So I believe that's right on target. We didn't know that statistic back then. But I believe that's a target that God wants us to aim for. Now, if you're older than that, that's fine. If, if you're younger than that, that's fine. Because if you hit, you don't always have to hit bullseye every time, right? Uh, you can score if you hit any place on that target. It's when you miss the target, that that's when you're in trouble. How many of you play darts? You know, well, maybe not, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. I don't play doubts, but I've, I have in the past. No, you know, doubt know, boards, you know, it's kind of part of life, okay? <laughs> now, I have to tell you, I've... <laughs> some of you have played doubts and bars, okay? I didn't, okay? Just <laughs> so you so, I didn't. I don't know how I get off on these things. I get myself in trouble sometimes. <clears throat> okay, let's keep, let's stay focused on these statistics here. Yeah. In 2014, the population of Stevens Point was 26,658. It makes it the largest city in the county. Portage County Population Census of 2010, the entire county is 69,916. Now, that's not a lot of people. Like, we have some friends here. Priscilla's parents are here and her brother from Chicago, Okay, the the statistics are a lot different. There are a lot more people, folks. Okay. So sixty-nine thousand, that's probably just a little suburb off of Chicago, you know. It's, but but for here, that's you know, to me that's a lot of people that need to be reached. Okay. Now, Portage County population. Okay, I read that one. Stevens Point is home to the University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, we know that. And also is the campus of Mid State Technical College. Now what I found in these statistics on city rankings, maybe this you didn't know about your city, the, the previous things maybe you did, that I shared. But Stevens Point was listed and relocate America's top 10 best places to live in 2007 and 2008 for the United States, for the whole nation, the top 10, at least that year, 2007. What was happening in 2007, 2008? I don't know. It must have been good, okay? <laughs> but it, it's still good, right? Okay, and then it was listed uh, in the top 100 cities for 2003, 4, 7, 8, 9, and 2010. It was listed in the top 10 relocation cities in the year 2010, so that's a little more recent. In 2009, CNNMoney.com ranked Stevens Point the 18th best place to retire. Okay, so maybe I'll stay here. (laughs) <laughs> the magazine stated that there was plenty of retirees to do, for retirees to do in the summertime as well as the winter, including hiking, biking, skiing, and the Green Circle Trail. How many of you have ever been on the Green Circle Trail? Oh my, okay, there, there's some of you that haven't. You need to do that. That's an, that's an adventure in itself. Um, I can say that I actually made it all the way around. I was tired at the end of the day, but 26 miles on the bicycle, yeah, that's my bottom was sore for a couple of days, but I, I survived that. <laughs> Stevens Point was rated the sixth best place to raise a family by Forbes.com in 2010. Wow! So families, come on, that's a great place to raise a family. So these are statistics you you might not know that about your city, but I I think that can make you even you know with a good sense of pride excited about that. Um, so. We talk about living it out to the community and I always give you three major points that I want you to take away with you. So what are three things that we can say about living it out? Number one, if you're taking notes, realize that we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. See, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. But you need to understand this. And I heard this statement a number of years ago. I was actually driving. I heard on the radio station. I actually, I, I couldn't wait to pull over to write it down because I just thought it was so good. And the statement goes this way. People don't care how much you know until they know that you care. See, a lot of times people don't want to listen to you until they can see that you care for them with a genuine concern and that you really want to make a difference in their life in a positive way. Um, now, one of the things that Second Saturday does, it's, it's a ministry that actually gives you an opportunity as people from Refuge to go and serve the community in some way. It was we schedule and connect with different organizations throughout the community that we can actually be the hands and feet of Jesus out there being a blessing. And you know that does so many things because now we've done two so far this year. We've done uh, two finisher give, giveaways in previous years. But that brings the church together. The just the fellowship alone is is amazing to build relationships among people to to see the person you're sitting next to kind of in a different light, to see a hammer in their hand. Uh, you might that might scare you, but Um, but to see them engaging in some other activity other than just sitting and receiving or uh, serving within the church, and it's okay to serve in the church. Don't get me wrong. But to do things that are outside these four walls impacting the community, making a difference in people's lives and people saying, you know, we need to go check that church out, Mom. You know, Dad. we, We need to see what's happening there because not every church is engaged in ministry outside the four walls of their church. But that's a strong conviction, and that's part of actually when we felt the Spirit of God directing us to relaunch, to change the name, and to rebrand and do all that stuff. You know, it was not anything to do with, oh, it's, it's time to do this. It was a move of God's Spirit upon our hearts, upon the leadership of this church. And as we moved out in this venture, part of it is getting the ministry of Jesus Christ outside these four walls so we can impact people in the community that really have need. You know, just uh, yesterday, I did a funeral for somebody I never met. You might say, well, well, how would that be? Well, I I talked to a couple of funeral directors in the community, um, and I said, you know, if you ever have a family uh, that doesn't have a church, doesn't have a pastor, doesn't have anybody to do their funeral, give me a call. If I'm available, I'll do it. And so I got a call on Thursday for family, and, you know, the opportunity there was oh, amazing to be able to be there to speak and minister to a family in a time of crisis like that. But see, that's something I, I want to see that we as a church are, are doing that kind of stuff. And even the, the funeral director is like, you know, it's just amazing that you do this. You know, because I know how busy you are. I know how busy pastors are. And I said, well, if I'm av- if I'm available, that's, the qualifier, you know, and, and even though I would have maybe wanted to sleep in yesterday morning because really that's the only day of the week I get to sleep in, Saturday mornings, uh, not even Mondays. Mondays is our day off, technically, <laughs> but I still have to take Mackenzie to school, but she'll have her license on May 5th, so she'll be able to drive herself, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so I'll be able to sleep in on Mondays. Okay. Yeah, Okay. Got to get the boys up for school, though. All right. We have two Chinese students that are living with us. So we're host parents to them. All right. Now, where was I? Okay. I better, I better get moving here. We're going to run out of time. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5.20. says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What's interesting there about it, about this verse is that word ambassador. An ambassador is a representative of someone else. Now I've met a number of ambassadors. I was in Ghana, I met them, uh, uh, I was at, at the, um, what do they call it, place? Embassy, mm, am- embassy. embassy yeah, thank you, thank you. I, I thought that's what you said. Uh, <laughs> something else came out, but anyway. Uh, so I've been at the embassy, but in Uganda I met the ambassador. And, you know, he's living in a third-world country, but yet he lives according to American standards, and he has the protection. But there, as an ambassador, he represents the interest of this country to the nation of Uganda. And see, that's a concept we have to get into our thinking, that we are representatives of heaven, and we represent the kingdom of God in this earth, wherever we are. So that means when we're out doing things, serving in the community, we're actually an ambassador for Jesus Christ, representing the kingdom of God. And and so we need to keep that, in the back of our minds, that thinking that I am Christ's ambassador. I'm here to represent him. See, that means we're not, that ambassador wasn't representing his own interest, but he was representing the interest of of this country, our president in this nation, okay? Now, Number two, the second thing we can say about living it out is we are good at letting our light shine in church, but what about outside of church? We are good at letting our light shine in church, but what about outside of church? I tell you, uh, there are some people that live a double life. They have a double standard. They act and talk one way in church, but outside of church, you wouldn't even know they were saved. They, you wouldn't even know they had a relationship with Christ. And now, I, I don't believe that's the case with the people at Refuge because I, I believe you're sitting under the word. Your lives are being ministered by the word of God. You're being transformed and changed, and you're going out there. You're making a difference. And I, I know that because I hear people in the in in marketplace, of, they talk about you, and, and it's, it's positive things. I hear a lot of good things about people that are part of Refuge. From our community leaders, okay? So that's good. Um, there's a scripture here, Matthew five, thirteen through sixteen. Jesus he addressed our role in this earth, our role in this society. And and Jesus, we know he came to be a light to this world, but he also called us to be light. We see in verse thirteen in Matthew five, he said Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, the salt preserves. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and out and trampled under people's feet. Then he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and, and put it under a basket, but understand. See, we can't stay in a place where light isn't shining or able to shine outside these four walls. And then... It goes on to say gives light to the, all the house verse 16 in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven see how are they going to see what you're doing what you do if you're not out there doing it and somehow impacting the community in some way now Years ago, the Lord was dealing with me about getting involved, and and, uh, we saw in the newspaper there were openings on the advisory committee to the Health and Human Service Board. And I thought, well, uh, honey, Deb, this would be something maybe we should do. Actually, this was before we were even married. And so we both filled out applications, and um, we got accepted as advisory people to the Health and Human uh, Service Board. And then as we were serving there, I was actually appointed to be the chairman over that committee, which gave me a seat on the Health and Human Service Board. And for six years, I served this community in that role. And and so what a wonderful opportunity to interact with the community, to be a voice speaking life and being a representative of Christ in those circles. And so um, then we're gonna move on here. Number three, you, you need a third point. I wanna spend a little more time on this third point. Ask God to give you a passion for your city. See, we are to be witnesses. In Acts 1.8, it says, after that, the power of the Holy Spirit comes on us and we're witnesses first in Jerusalem, first at home, then Judea, beyond that, and then to the extents of the earth. So, but it starts in our city. You need a passion for your city. See, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because they missed their time of visitation. In Luke chapter 19, 41, the scripture reads, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over the city. When was the last time you wept over your city? And you grieve because you see the, the, the sin, you see the things that are wrong, and, but you know God wants to make it right. Um, <clears throat> see, we're to project Jesus with genuine love and enthusiasm. So, asking you the question this morning do you love your city? First John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So when we really know God, that gives us the capacity to love others, to love people in our community that you might think aren't lovable, but yet they need the love of God. They need to encounter the love of God. What are things you love about your community? Now, you may like MEJs. I do. You may especially like the parks, the Wisconsin River, the university, athletics, the Green Circle. You might like all this stuff. Uh, These amenities that make your life more pleasant, that's okay. But for many Christians, that's where it may end. We need to have a love for the people, for the inhabitants. You might say, well, cities are supposed to serve us. Right, we pay taxes, so... They, they need to take care of us, but we need to be a servant and see what we can do to take care of our city, because the systems of our community can be meant for good, but they can also be corrupted and tainted and used for evil, but we can have a part, we can have a say, we can make a difference. When was the last time you went to a city council meeting? You, know, you didn't even know what's happening in the city. I want to challenge some of you. Get involved. You might say, I don't want to get involved with politics. Well, we need positive voices in every arena in our community. You know, find out what's happening. Find out who's running for the school board. Maybe you need to run for the school board. You know, get involved. Be a part. When was the last time you prayed for your city? When was the last time you prayed for your community? In Jeremiah 29 7. This is a very important verse of scripture we see now. In the period of history, Now think about this, the children of Israel are taken captive by a foreign nation and they're forced to live in captivity in a city that's far from home. And God gives them a message about that city and their attitude towards it. In Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says, also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Here we see an exhortation from Jeremiah the prophet from Scripture that we are to pray for a city. Even if you were brought to the city in exile against your will, you are to pray for this city, and as God blesses it, you will become blessed. It's serving and reaching out. We at refuge believe very strongly in the importance of serving the community to expand the influence of Jesus Christ beyond these four walls. Serving isn't just some trick to get more growth, but it's really showing people the love of God and sharing the gospel and showing people how God wants to see them treated. Now, what is your view of outreach? Your view of outreach, actually, there's there's three different approaches, and I'm going to just give this to you real quick. Um... Under this third point, um, there's different views of outreach. One is the fortress approach. Some churches take that kind of pattern. In this approach, the church asks people to remove themselves from the world so that they can be pure. Uh, We can just pray for the unbeliever but never engage them in in a meaningful relationship. That's the fortress approach. But yet Jesus said in John 17, 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And then John 17, 18, as this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, or I mean, this is Jesus speaking in his prayer to the Father before the crucifixion in the high priestly prayer. He's praying to God. And he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As the Father sent Jesus, so he sends us into this world. See, we can't demand that the world changes without presenting Jesus to them. Then there's the, there's the force approach. The force approach is a turnoff to many people. A forceful presentation of our view on others is usually a turnoff. It's con- ministering the word in the condemning way, putting people down for how they're living, how they're acting. If Jesus did that to the woman at the well, he would have never won her as a convert. If he would have came, oh, you, you woman, you're in your adultery, you're living this bad way, you know. If he would have came condemning her, she would have fled from him. But she was drawn to him because of the message of life that he had, to share the, the love, the forgiveness that he offered her. She found her peace with God, made her peace with God that day. The third approach when we approach the community is what I call the fragrant approach. Now. I forgot to put cologne on this morning, but um, it's called Happy. My wife really likes it. So I like to 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 put it on me to make her happy, okay? Uh, it makes her happy, right? But when I have that on, I get compliments many times. Oh, I like your cologne. You know, it's Because it's a fragrance. that's emitting something. And there's a scripture in our approach when we touch the world, when we touch people that don't know Christ, should be What we see in 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphant procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. See, that's what it's all about. There's a fragrance that we can spread everywhere we go. Well, people look at you and say, what's different about you? What do you have? I don't have what you have. And we can lead people and bring people into encounter with Jesus having an opportunity to begin to speak into their life and share the gospel see perfume does nothing when it's kept in the bottle but when applied it begins to have an impact but not in a forceful way now some people might have some really strong cologne okay but I'm not talking about that okay so but uh, yeah So what can you take away from this message today? I just want you to think about that for a moment. I really desire for you to begin to develop a greater love and a passion for your city. For people outside these four walls that don't know Christ. That need a relationship with him. And others that maybe have walked with God but have gone to the wayside, have fallen away. They, they need somebody to come and, and speak into their life and to draw them back into the kingdom. Imagine for a moment a city, a community that has been one to Jesus Christ, a community that has come into a real encounter with Jesus Christ. What is preventing that from happening? See, God's plan has not changed The scripture says he's not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. It's his will for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And he's equipped you and I and commissioned us to win this world for him. He even said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you to the end. I'm going to help you get the job done. But he needs us because we're his hands and his feet. I want you to close your eyes in this moment and as we bring the service to a close, I want to begin to address you here this morning concerning your relationship with God and where it may be or where it may not be. Now, many of you have already come to a decision in your life where you've received Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. He is most certainly your Lord, your Savior. You've made your peace with God. But if there would be one or maybe a few today that you haven't come to reconcile your relationship with God. You've not come to terms to acknowledge who he is and what he came to do for you. I want to ask you this question, where do you stand with God? Jesus said in the scripture to Mary and Martha, said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked them, do you believe this? Belief in Christ results in the gift of eternal life. And that belief is not just acknowledgement. That belief is it's in entrusting it, in your life to him. It's giving your heart to him. That word believe means to trust and to rely upon. Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter eight, verses eight and nine, it says, "By grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of yourselves. You can't save yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not of your works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus did a work for you to be saved, so He could offer you the gift of eternal life. You don't work for the gift. You only receive the gift when you put your faith and trust in Him." who died for you. Now, there's a debt that you owe. It's called sin. The consequences of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he's offered his life to us. I don't know about you, but I can remember before I really gave my heart to Jesus, when I would sin, when I'd have guilt, that would plague me and I just couldn't get around that. But when I received Jesus, not only did I receive forgiveness, but he washed the guilt away. He washed all that junk away, the condemnation, the guilt. And I realized that this is what it is to be free. I can be free from sin. I can be free from the penalty and the consequence of the sins that I've committed because God sent Jesus his son to die for me. Scripture makes it clear in Romans 10, 9 and 10 how we are saved. It reads, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead that we shall be saved. For with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. With every head bowed, nobody looking around right now, I want to ask this question again. Where do you stand with God? If for whatever reason this was your last day on earth and you were to stand before God in judgment, do you believe that you would be received into his presence? Or do you believe that you just, you, you just don't know, you're uncertain where you would go? If you have a question about your eternity, if you have a question about where you would go, My exhortation to you today is is to put your faith in Jesus because when you do, he will give you assurance so that you can know, so that you can receive his life and be born of his spirit and live forever with him. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm uncertain of where I really stand with God and I want to give my heart to him today. I want to dedicate myself to him today. I want to receive Salvation in eternal life today. If that's you, just lift up up your hand and we'll pray. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Let's pray this prayer together. I'm going to have the prayer team come up at this time too. They're going to be up here to pray uh, for anyone that needs prayer when we dismiss the service, especially if you respond in this invitation. It's our desire that you receive prayer and, and, and you can God can meet you in that place of prayer as one of our prayer team members joins their faith with you, and, and and they're here because they have a passion for people. They they love God and they love people. They love you. You might say they don't know me, but the love of God, it, it's amazing how we can love people that we don't really know. But when you know them, then you really can love them. Okay, let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I acknowledge that without you I'm lost. I'm a sinner who needs a savior. Heavenly Father, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me, to take my penalty, to bear my sins. I believe you died for me, Jesus. And I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearefuge.net.